Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Ortho Eval Pal Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis. Today we're going to be talking about neural mobilization. Now, some people may not be familiar with this, and I wasn't for a good long time, but now that I understand it, I love it. Uh, and uh, we're going to be also giving you a little patient presentation today. Uh, so we're going to start off with some you know, discussion of what neural tension is why it's important to mobilize nerves, and then uh, we'll get through this patient presentation. We'll talk about her signs or symptoms and uh, how we got this young lady better and uh, smiling, active, happy, and improved her quality of life significantly. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to just take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. A good night's sleep is what everybody needs. Fresh rest bedding will keep you comfortable all night. Our advanced textiles and weave wicks moisture and also regulates body temperature. This design, coupled with our all-natural organic antimicrobial, eliminates 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria, as well as dust mites, which are an allergen to many. Because our bedding stays fresh longer, it is eco-friendly, as it only requires washing once a month on average. This bedding is also known for its incredible softness. Our antimicrobial is all-natural and organic. No metals, waxes, chemicals, or our sheets will never leach onto or into your skin ever. These sheets are safe for your entire family. Fresh Rest is designed and engineered by Main Lee Technology Group, based in Wells, Maine, and our sheets are made for the USA. Fresh Rest Bedding is only available for purchase through our e-commerce website by visiting freshrestbedding.com. Once again, that's freshrestbedding.com. Hello and welcome back. So I finally got my new microphone for my podcast and I'm so excited about it. Um, it just uh, helps to clear things up. It doesn't clear the accent. So for those of you who are new to OrthoEvalPal, um, I am Franco-American and my first language was French and uh, switched over to English pretty quickly once I hit the school systems. And uh, But always continue to maintain this Franco-American uh, bilingualism, I guess you would say, and uh, really enjoy speaking French with my patients who come in. They seem to be much more comfortable with that. And uh, of course, that has left me with a little accent. So um, when I start speaking too fast or I get too excited about something, not only does my accent get stronger, but my hands start moving a little bit more, just part of my heritage, I guess. Um, so to be honest with you, you know, I really never considered neural tension while treating patients until about six or seven years ago, you know, I was, I, I kind of been, I've been working in a outpatient sports and orthopedic clinic for 28 years now and lots of athletes, lots of orthopedic cases and things like that. And, um, you know, also started to, as I did some research on the cervical spine and developed, uh, the marquee maneuver that we utilize uh, in our offices, to try to identify if somebody has nerve root compression or not, um, you know, I was seeing tons and tons of nerve root compression problems and identifying them, you know, people who had radiculopathy and loss of strength, loss of sensation, um, you know, and loss of reflex, people who had a positive spurlings and, you know, and things like that, or people, you know, who, who had no relief with traction or actually got worse with traction, which was kind of weird. Um, I started thinking about these other things, these other issues that people might have, and then, uh, you know, came across some information on nerve tension. And as we started using that, uh, that really started to help our practice a lot. Um, you know, some of these patients had a lot of arm and leg pain, but 
Some of them didn't have a loss of reflex or a loss of strength or sensation like you would typically see in somebody who had nerve root compression. So they looked like the typical radiculopathy patient, um, but didn't quite have the same presentation. And, uh, you know, some of these folks might have had um, paresthesias and or they had these radiculopathies but had negative MRIs of the lumbar spine or cervical spine. So it really got me thinking about what else could cause these symptoms that look like nerve root compression. So let's start off by talking about neural tension, okay? Now, first of all, I'm not a neurologist, okay? So we're not going to get super technical with this. And I think that, you know, what we've been doing with orthoevalpal is keeping things basic, um, recognizing problems, addressing problems, and uh, doing our very best to, um, you know, uh, not do anything that we can't handle, but to communicate with the right people to help address these issues with certain uh, problems. So um, I think that it's very important that you understand that. I'm not a neurologist, I'm a physical therapist, but I'm going to explain to you what works from experience. There has been some research done on neural tension, pretty positive um, research in regards to results and optimizing function, decreasing pain and improving you know, quality of life and all that good stuff. So we are going to go with that. And of course, every almost every study says you need to do more studies. Um, so uh, maybe at some point uh, we'll look into doing something like this. So first of all, let's understand what the nerve does, okay? So we know that nerves are not made out of the same cells as skin and bone and muscle, and that these these nerve cells, these more of these what we call permanent cells, um, don't heal up very well. And they have some element of elasticity, but very, very little, okay? Um, unlike you know a muscle, which is more like a rubber band, Neural tissue is more like those those plastic rings around six pack cans. You've all seen them. Don't see them as much anymore as you used to. But you know, they, you try to break that ring or you try to stretch it apart. It's very difficult to do. It doesn't come back to the same shape very well. Um, and when you get to a certain distance and it doesn't have to be very long, it tears or it breaks or it quote unquote fails. Unlike a muscle that can stretch a lot further than that before it reaches a failure point. Um, and so think about it that way. Okay. So think about your nerves more like plastic fibers and muscles more like elastic fibers. So for example, if you look at the median nerve in the forearm, um, you know, some, some people have fractured, you know, a distal, a distal humerus and, um, they're casted for six to eight weeks, maybe at 45 degrees of flexion. The cast comes off the arm, uh, you know, it really hasn't been moving. So that median nerve has not been gliding amongst the flexor digitorum profundus and superficialis very well. So it kind of gets stuck there. Okay. So once you get out of the cast, you start to straighten out the arm, that median nerve, uh, has some fibrous adhesions from the from the surrounding soft tissues, and as a result, when those soft tissues stretch, those muscles stretch, um, they can pull on the nerve, and the nerve can withstand a little bit of pull, but not a lot of pull, and that can really really tweak the nerve, cause a lot of pain and paresthesia, and usually it's kind of a sharp pain. People will describe it as cord-like. It feels like there's an isolated cord in the arm or in the leg that is being pulled really hard and um, can cause quite a bit of discomfort, especially with reaching activities or uh, getting the arm extended, hand and wrist extended, and doing some reaching activities. So we see this these issues in people who are immobilized for a long time, 
We see them in people who have sustained trauma because nerves um, are somewhat avascular and they have a harder time healing. And so the trauma alone can can really damage the nerve tissue. Uh, we've seen it in people with adhesive capsulitis. Just think about it. You know, that arm uh, is not flexing. Uh, for example, if they can't flex more than 75 degrees, abduct more than 45 degrees, and maybe can't external rotate, externally rotate past zero, that shoulder complex and that brachial plexus and all those nerves that come down from the neck into the arm just are stagnant there. And all the soft tissues around that nerve are, quote unquote, scarring down to that nerve. So that nerve is not able to glide in and out nicely amongst that soft tissue. So it's funny because you'll see these and, and I didn't start to realize it till, you know, six or seven years ago where we were starting to stretch these patients and they were gaining their motion. But when we started to get overhead a little bit more or reaching a little bit more, they started to have signs of like radiculopathy, you know, like a sharp shooting pain going down the arm. So when we started looking at it, it just made sense that these, these nerve structures, these neural structures are scarring down and adhering down and getting pulled on. So we started doing nerve gliding activities with almost all of our adhesive capsulitis patients. And guess what? A lot less discomfort and a lot better mobility a lot faster. So um, something to think about when you see these people who are immobilized for a long period of time. Now, let me give you a little patient presentation here. I don't have the patient's chart on me, so I'm going to give you uh, just a guesstimate on her age, but she was about 32 years old. She was in a motor vehicle accident. Sustained an injury to her cervical spine, left-sided cervical spine, and left upper extremity. When she came to see us, this was about three months after having been to another uh, physical therapy clinic, and um, her pain was severe. It was very, very sharp pain from her neck uh, throughout the whole arm, down into her hand, into her fingers. She came in very, very skeptical uh, because she would leave therapy typically no better or uh, worse than when she walked in and uh, was just very, very discouraged and uh, had uh, three children to take care of and uh, had to be busy, had to work, had to provide, but while in severe agonizing pain. Uh, and when I say this, I, I am saying this now about the severity of her pain because the evaluation was extremely difficult. So we could not do a really complete evaluation first couple of visits with her just because of the severity of her discomfort, even just to palpate and to do light motion. But one of the things that, a couple of things that we noticed was that she had no loss of reflexes and she had this ridiculous type, you know, uh, presentation down the arm. She had less pain when she did left lateral neck flexion than when she did right lateral neck flexion. When she went to the right side, it increased the pain down her left arm. She also had a significant amount of supraclavicular tenderness, uh, pain in the upper trapezius levator scapulae region. She had a significant amount of muscle spasm in that area. She had no pain with cervical spine compression, but she had pain with manual traction of the cervical spine. Now, I want to say that about 95% or more of the patients that I see who have some sort of a neck problem find relief with cervical traction, manual cervical traction. It takes pressure off the facets and off the discs, and it just opens up those foramen, and it stretches those cervical spine muscles nicely, and they usually get quite a bit of relief. Well, she did not. Uh, she actually had a significant increase in pain in her upper trap and pain going down her arm, and this was very, very light traction of the cervical spine. So... In my mind, I started thinking about, well, she has some sort of 
inflammatory neural issue going on because I've seen this before. And uh, after you've seen it a couple times, you really need to start thinking in a different direction. So, like I said, we couldn't do much from the exam just because of the the, the amount of globalized pain that she had. Um, we also tested uh, one other thing that really helped drive us in the direction of a nerve tension issue uh, or nerve compression issue. And what we had her do was depress the left shoulder. So she was sitting there looking at me. Her head was in a neutral position. And um, I just had her put her arm down by her side and kind of reach toward the floor and just depress the whole, um, you know, scapula, thera- the, the whole glenohumeral region and push it down a little bit. And as soon as she did that, she had a significant, severe pain go down her arm. Now, I had her hold that for a second and I had her laterally flex the cervical spine to the same side and she just kind of lit up a little bit like, wait a second, I just was able to relieve my own pain. And when she brought the arm back up and she laterally tilted to the right side, her pain came back. So she felt best when she kind of shrugged the shoulder and brought her left ear to her left shoulder, and it gave her a lot of relief. So that was telling me she had a significant amount of neural discomfort. The other thing I did was I I extended her wrist a little bit while her arm was down by her side, and just doing that sent pain basically from her neck down her arm. So... The conclusion we came up with was that she had a brachial plexitis and that her brachial plexus was, you know, obviously all inflamed, irritated. She had that arm stuck by her side when she walked in and she says she's been like that since the accident. So uh, except for when she was trying to um, treat it and um you know, part of her program was lots of stretching, overhead stretches, pulleys, cane exercises, wall push-ups, and things of that sort, which she felt just completely aggravated her symptoms. So how did we treat this very complicated scenario? Um, obviously, there was more than just, you know, physical stuff going on here. There was a lot of psychological stress and strain, you know, associated with this particular issue. So what we did was number one is we did not cause more neural tension. Okay. So we explained to the patient, number one, this is a nerve injury. This is a pretty severe nerve injury. And we'd seen these before and they can take a year to a year and a half to get better. So once they understand that and know what the expectation is, then um, they're not waiting to see tremendous results in one or two or three visits, um, but they know that this can take some time. You explain to them this has to be a um, less pain, all gain type of situation. So we start with um, neural tension, neural gliding, and neural sliding activities, but it is very, very gentle. Okay, and I'm going to reiterate that it needs to be very gentle. We start with it passively. We do not sustain a stretch for a long period of time. Um, It's kind of rhythmic movements just to get that nerve sliding and gliding amongst the soft tissue. And it is a minuscule amount of movement at first, especially when these people are are very um, easy to agitate in regards to the inflammation. So um, then... We soon get the patient onto an active program to reiterate these sliding and gliding exercises at home three to four times a day, keeping themselves in a, in a pain-free, relatively pain-free range, and telling them 
that it is important that you don't try to push this harder because the harder you do it, the worse you're going to get in a situation like this. The other thing we implemented right off was a progressive cardiovascular program. So on a stationary bike and on an upper body bike, keeping the arm really close to the body so it's not stretching and not in an outstretched position so that you're not putting neural tension on that arm, getting that heart rate up there because those nerves need blood flow. And that arm hadn't been moving for three to four months. So we start that. I'm a big advocate of cardiovascular exercise in treating patients. Um, then we we slowly started to work in some cervical spine range of motion, both actively and passively. Nothing aggressive, but just trying to optimize the cervical spine range. We did some soft tissue mobilization around the cervical spine as soon as she was able to tolerate um, palpation and, and working on that area. And as, as time went on, we did better and better and better. And actually, this young lady saw a significant improvement in about two visits in regards to her motion, her ability to sleep better, and uh, and her function. So um, then we work a little more aggressively on a postural uh, progression, working on implementing nerve gliding exercises like thumbs up exercises, doing T's and Y's, working on the lower and mid trapezius with an outstretched arm, uh, getting those elbows extended really helps with that neural gliding at the same time. And then uh, getting, you know, everything in a better postural position, opening up the cervical foramen with deep cervical uh, activation exercises so that the nerve root isn't too compressed because not only can a nerve become entrapped because of scarring down and tethering to other soft tissues. But if a nerve or nerve root takes kind of a sharp turn after it leaves its main trunk, then they're at higher risk of developing problems like nerve tension or nerve compression type problems. So um, you need to be very cautious and go slowly with this. Um, And so the patient did very well, like within the course of a month and a half to two months, 90% better, but still had some residual discomfort that was just kind of continuing to bother her. So we we contacted her PCP, um, made a recommendation of taking Neurontin, and as soon as she started doing that, it was, um, you know, she, she became 100% better. We were able to push her aggressively on a, an upper body strengthening and postural program, did very, very well, and uh, we just recently discharged this young lady, and she's doing awesome, and I'm, I'm so happy. I wish I would have videotaped this young lady because it would have been uh, just a great presentation. So not a big pat on the back for myself, but I think the more important thing is that experience here taught me that you can't just push through these things. Although sometimes you'd like the patient to do that or feel like they've got to push harder. Certain situations, you just have to slow things down a little bit. Um, So just a review today. Um, We can go in many different directions on nerve gliding, and we're going to hopefully get some nerve gliding exercises up for you for the upper extremity. We'll talk about upper limb tension testing and um, hopefully get that uh, on our YouTube channel for you. But make sure that you... um, you know, you remember that nerves don't like to be compressed. They don't like to be yanked on very much. Um, you are connected from head to toe with your nervous system. So it's not uncommon to have symptoms in different areas when you have nerve tension issues, okay? So it's not crazy if a patient says that they have pain down in their low back or maybe even a little bit of sciatica if they flex their neck forward uh, in a forward flex position. So keep that in consideration. Um, consider neural tension testing during your initial evaluations when something just doesn't seem right and you think that there may be a little bit of stiffness or tightness there uh, and the patient maybe has been immobilized for a long period of time check out their uh, their nerve gliding and see how they do be patient as a provider treating people with neural tension issues 
make your patient be patient so that they understand that this can take a long time but should get better over time. Be gentle with your progression and less pain is all gain. This is not a no pain, no gain situation, okay? So, folks, thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it and um, stay tuned. We have a lot more to come. Uh, Check out our YouTube channel and our website. We have uh, webinars there and we do online coaching which uh, lately has been a great success for us. So um, I really appreciate all of you for listening. And uh, please make sure you go out and give us a rating and review on um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to our podcast, because that really helps with our algorithm of, you know, growing and getting better. So um, thank you all so much for listening and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.